Well, we are continuing in this series called Unlikely Heroes, and the person that we're looking at today is someone that just about every one of us, whether we've grown up in church or um, this is your very first time being in church or with us online, um, has probably heard this name before. It is the name King David. And you may be here right now, or maybe you're with us online, and you're saying, wait a minute, King David was an unlikely hero? Wait, wait, wait. Isn't this the King David who, like before he was king, when he was just a little shepherd boy, he was the one when the Israelites and the Philistines were in this big battle and there was this giant named Goliath and nobody was willing to face this giant because they were so terrified. Isn't this the David who said, I'll fight him and he took his little slingshot and he took down the giant Goliath? Isn't this the David who became the mighty warrior in King Saul's army? who was even more popular than the king himself? Isn't this the David that because of that that popularity, King Saul decided he was going to try and kill David and on several times uh, attempted to take David's life? And David's running into this cave and Saul goes in there to, he actually is on the hunt for David, but he goes into a cave to relieve himself. And David's actually in that cave and he cuts off a little piece of, of Saul's robe rather than kill him to spare his life because he is a man of such integrity and such respect for God's anointed king, King Saul. Isn't this the King David who uh, becomes king and takes back the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites and then establishes the plans for the temple where God will be worshipped in Jerusalem? Maybe you're thinking, isn't this the David how could he be unlikely? I mean, this is the David who wrote the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament of the Bible, many of those Psalms anyway attributed to him, who have inspired so many of us in our prayer life, or inspired so many songs that we sing in church. They trace back to David's pen. Isn't this the David who's known in both the Old and New Testaments, including Acts 13.32, as the man after God's own heart? I mean, this guy is a hero for sure, but some of you are going, how is he unlikely? This doesn't make any sense. He's not an unlikely hero. Well, for all of David's success that he had, he also experienced crippling failure. And it wasn't failure on the battlefield where he excelled. It wasn't failure in terms of how he governed the kingdom. It wasn't failure at all in his public life. But like so many successful people, his challenge wasn't publicly, it was privately. That is where David experienced tremendous difficulty. And really where uh, it all starts to go south for David, where it really starts to, to unravel, and we see it pretty clearly, is in 2 Samuel chapter 13. In 2 Samuel 13, um, David at this point has been king for a while and his children are pushing into adulthood. And um, his oldest son is named Amnon. And Amnon is the heir to the throne. And um, Amnon, it says, becomes obsessed with his half-sister. And I don't mean that in any sort of a good way. He becomes obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar, and uh, he desires her. He becomes obsessed with her in a sexual way. And, um, and so he concocts a plan because you see when you're living in the, the kingdom of Israel, you're the, the son of the king, it, it's hard to get time alone with anybody. 
But he comes up with this plan where he pretends to be sick and he calls on his half-sister to take care of him and make him some food. And when she does, he grabs her and he rapes her. And she is absolutely devastated by this. And it says in 2 Samuel 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, when King David heard of all this, because this is his, his son um, Amnon and his daughter um, Tamar, who's through another wife. Okay, so that's how they're half brother and sister. It says, when King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom, now Absalom is the brother of Tamar, the full brother, so they have the same mom, and then they both share their same dad, King David. Um, but Absalom is a half-brother of Amnon, so hopefully you're tracking with that. So Absalom, full brother of Tamar, half-brother of Amnon, it says he never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. So the deal is he's not speaking to his brother, his half-brother. So I'm not even going to speak to him. This is crazy. It says he hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. So we got Amnon who's, or I'm sorry, Absalom who's furious with his brother, won't speak to him. And we've got, um, we've got King David who's also furious. But here's the thing with David. He doesn't do anything. It says he's furious, but then he does nothing. And two years go by and David does nothing about the situation. So here we have Absalom who is just fuming with anger at his, half, at his half-brother, Amnon. And he's actually taken Tamar into his house. He's caring for her. You know, she's recovering through this. She's grieving. I mean, all the things that go along with something that's that horrific. And so um, Absalom is seeing all this firsthand from his sister. And so because his father's not doing anything about it, Absalom decides, you know what? My dad's not going to do anything about it. I'm going to do something about it. Justice must be served. And so Absalom decides he's going to throw a party and he's going to invite all of his brothers, all of King David's sons to this party. And he gives these orders to his men. Absalom gives these orders to his men. 2 Samuel 13, 28. He says to them, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. And that's exactly how things play out. And Absalom's men strike down Amnon in cold blood in front of everybody. I mean, this is like a crime out in the middle of everybody. And so now Absalom, Absalom can't stay in Jerusalem. He's just killed the heir to the throne. So Absalom is now a man on the run. Check this out. 2 Samuel 13, 38 and 39. It says, after Absalom fled and went to Geshur... He stayed there three years. Now, um, this is where his grandfather was. So he, he leaves Jerusalem, he goes to Geshur, and he's there for three years. And it says that his father, King David, longed to go and see him, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So three years go by. Does David go and see Absalom? He doesn't. He longs to go, but he does nothing. He's furious with what Amnon did to Tamar. Does he do anything? He does nothing. So finally, after three years, David's general and his, one of his chief advisors, Joab, manages to convince David, look, I know he didn't do this the right way. Okay? I know it's a mess, but 
come on, you've got to bring Absalom home. You've, you've got to reinstate him into your kingdom. And so finally, David is convinced about this. And so he says to Joab, okay, go, go ahead, go to Geshur, go and bring Absalom home. So it says in 2 Samuel 14, 23, 24, and 28, that Joab arose and went to Geshur, and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. But the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. And what that represents there is David's like, you know what, I, I was going to reinstate him. This seemed like a good idea, but now that he's here, no, 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 I can't. I can't do this. And David waffles. He changes his mind and he says, you know what? I, I just can't do it. It would just be politically, this, this, is, this is too bad. I, I, I can't make this happen. So it says that Absalom went to his own house and didn't see the face of the king. And Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So he is, he's outside of the city. He's outside of this, the power and the influence of the kingdom. He is essentially ostracized. He's cut off. And so, um, I mean, Absalom, you know, he, he's like, what in the world is going on? I get brought all the way here, and, and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm in, but I'm not. And so he summons Joab, the general, David's general, who, who brought him to Jerusalem. And he says, okay, uh, Joab, uh, can, I need to see my father. I want to talk to him. And this is crazy. Well, Joab just completely ignores the request. It's like he didn't even reach out. And so he reaches out to Joab again. And Nothing. So two years he's there, no correspondence, dead silence from David, from Joab, I mean, nothing. So Absalom decides, well, this is, this is ridiculous. So he realizes that his field butts up against Joab's field. So you know what he does? He sets the field on fire. <laughs> That'll get his attention. Let's bring him down here. So sure enough, Joab goes to check on his field. And it, you know, it's burning up. So he goes down there and Absalom gets up in Joab's face and he's like, Joab, man, what's the deal? I'd be better off in Geshur. Why did my father bring me here? Why did you bring me here? I mean, I, I'd rather go back. I have no influence here. I'm completely isolated. I'm cut off from the kingdom. So... Joab goes back and he reports to King David. So 2 Samuel 14, 33. So Joab went back to the king and he told him what Absalom had said. Then the king summoned Absalom and he came in and it says Absalom bowed down with his face to the ground before King David, his father. And we have this moment where the king kisses his son Absalom. And in this moment, Absalom is reinstated into the family and into the kingdom once again. And we're like, finally, finally, it happens. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Not so much. So you got to understand, now we are at seven years since Tamar was raped by her brother Amnon. Seven years have gone by. Seven years of King David doing nothing about it by passively sitting back and doing nothing. And so it doesn't expressly say this, but you make your own judgment on Absalom's motivation. My personal opinion is 
Absalom has just been so frustrated at his dad's inaction over the last seven years that he's like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now I'm going to do something. My dad, not fit to lead anymore. So now Absalom has been reinstated into the kingdom. He's got power. He's got authority. He starts using that. And for the next four years, Absalom very carefully starts building alliances. He starts making deals. He starts making this power play. What's he doing? Oh, he's staging a coup against his dad. He's had enough. Enough pain, enough misery, enough letdown from his father. Absalom's done. And at the four-year mark, Absalom has built enough connections where he decides, I can do this. I can take over for my father. And he stages this coup, and he gets these men, and they, they storm the palace. Well, David, I mean, David, he was a really, really great warrior. And so he's, he's got intel everywhere. He's got eyes everywhere. And he gets wind of what's happening, and he manages to flee the palace and take a whole bunch of people with him. But left behind are 10 concubines, 10 of David's concubines. And in one of the most horrific moments in all the Bible, Absalom comes into the palace. He finds these concubines there from his father. He takes them up onto the roof of the palace. And in front of all of Israel, he rapes them on the top of this palace. It's just such a horrific moment. For first and foremost, those women, for the family and just the disgrace. Well, David's not done. And so David rallies. He rallies his men, he rallies his troops. And they managed to put down the coup, take back the palace. And in the midst of all that, Absalom is killed. It says that it's not what his father wanted, but Absalom dies in the process of all this. And David is devastated once again. And this, as many of you Bible scholars know, is what paves the way for another son of David named Solomon to become the heir to the throne. And Solomon ends up being the one that takes those plans that David has made for the temple and he actually builds the temple for the Jewish people in Israel. But the question in all this, right, here's this king who's so successful, so much integrity early on, so beloved. Here is this King David with an incredible run early in his life, who at the end fails so miserably, privately, with his family. He's a disaster. And the question is, David, why didn't you do anything, man? What, what happened? Why, why did you go passive? Well, if you stop and think about it, Maybe David felt like he couldn't do anything. Because you know those sins that his sons committed? He'd actually committed the same sins earlier in his life. See, David had also abused his power. And he had taken a woman who was not his, a woman named Bathsheba, a woman who was married to one of David's best men who's completely loyal to David. He saw that woman 
and he took her. And using his power, he made her have sex with him. And then it gets worse to cover up his crime. He has this guy, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, who is nothing but loyal, nothing but great to David. He sets it up so that Uriah gets killed in battle. So if you think about it, why can't David take action? Why can't David do anything about these horrific things that his sons are doing? David's done the exact same thing. He didn't know what to do. Would be a complete hypocrite. You say, but Derek, I mean, this, this is a man after God's own heart. This is the writer of all these psalms that we read about in our Bible that have inspired prayers and songs. And I mean, how did this happen to David? Where did he all go wrong? Where, where did he go off course? Well, we can trace it all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This is the moment where it all goes bad for David. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out. So, in the time when what kings were supposed to do was be out there making sure that the kingdom was in order, when that was David's purpose, when that was David's mission, what did David do? Did he go out? No, no. He sent Joab out. He sends out his general to go out. And it says that Joab went out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Not David, but Joab goes out. And they were the ones that destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. So what the heck was David doing? What was David doing? I mean, we know where he was supposed to be. What was he doing? But David remained in Jerusalem. So all of his guys, his whole community, the people that knew him best, his advisors, his trusted people, they're all out. And he's back just chilling at the crib. Because what could possibly happen there? It says, one evening, David got up from his bed. Couldn't sleep. Maybe he was bored. Certainly off mission. He's off purpose at this point. Not a lot to do. One evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And most of us know who this woman was. This was none other than Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of David's loyal men who would eventually be killed because of King David and his affair. And this is the moment up on a rooftop that begins the downfall, that begins the destruction of David's family. I don't know about you, but I just kind of want to like get in a time machine and go back there and say, David, David, man, 
You're this incredible, incredible man of integrity. You, you're you're an, an incredible warrior. You're an incredible leader and king. And I mean, you've got plans for the whole temple. And I mean, it's insane. You're awesome, David. Don't do it, man. It's the springtime. Kings are supposed to go off. Don't, don't hang back, man. Don't isolate yourself. Whatever you do, come on, David, don't do it. But, I mean, he wouldn't have listened, would he? I mean, after all, he was the king. He'd made up his mind. And how are you going to tell a guy that's got everything? He's been successful in everything. Everybody loves him. I mean, he didn't need anybody telling him what to do, did he? He's the king. And certainly if temptation came his way, certainly if challenge or struggle came his way, I mean, he's King David. He was strong enough to be able to handle it on his own, wasn't he? And so he isolated himself. Don't we do this? Come on, think about it. Don't we do this? You ever go, I mean, it's hard right now, but I mean, I got this. I mean, I don't need anybody to kind of help me through this. This is just kind of a personal struggle that's happening. I mean, that's kind of how I was raised, right? You just, you suck it up and you just deal with it. You keep going. Nobody wants to hear my sob story anyway. And we have this mentality of you just power through it. You just find a way. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you make it happen. And much like King David, what we often end up doing or certainly our initial gut reaction, our visceral reaction, is we say, you know what, I got this. And we isolate ourselves. And we, we resist that authentic community, being able to be really real with people, talk about what's really going on. And then, after we do that, we wonder, how in the world did I get into the bind that I'm in at work, man? We wonder, you know, this relationship that all of a sudden has all this drama around it, how did that happen exactly? You know, and this, this habit that started out really innocently and didn't seem like a big deal, now it's becoming a lot more habitual and a lot more of a deal than I really wanted it to be. And I, I still kind of think I'm handling it, but, but man, like, how did I get into this place anyway? We find ourselves in that da- King David moment. Um, we're at the halfway point of 2018. July 1st, 2018. Six months ago, we kicked off a new year here at Grace. And um, we were talking about wisdom and making wise, wise decisions and having a great 2018. And if you were there, you were tracking with this series six months ago, you remember that through the series, we had a theme verse. The theme verse was out of Proverbs, an incredible book of wisdom sayings in the Bible. And it was Proverbs 27, 12. Wise people see trouble coming. And get out of its way. And, um, and Pastor John, our lead pastor, talked about, you know, what if this was the year that we all rallied around this verse? What if this was the year? And you remember, some of you got a magnet, and maybe it's still on your refrigerator or somewhere where you, where you see it from time to time. What if this was the year where we, with God's help, 
we're able to see trouble coming and get out of its way? What if this was a great year of success and much less failure and difficulty? You know one of the ways that we see trouble coming and get out of its way? It's having wise people in our life that help us to see that trouble coming and get out of its way. We've all got blind spots. We do. We need people. We cannot isolate ourselves the way that David did. And so I want to let you know about something really exciting that's happening. If you, maybe like me, maybe like David, have this thing in you that says, you know what, I got this. Ah, They wouldn't really care anyway. I don't want to drag people through whatever. And you, you have a tendency to isolate a little bit. We're doing something this fall. And when I say we, I mean like all of us are doing something this fall. We're doing a relationship series called This Is Us. It's an eight-week series, and uh, it's just going to be absolutely awesome. And one of the things that is really the hallmark of the series is that every single one of us is going to get into community this fall. We're challenging every single person at Grace, Arlington, West Falls Church, and online, everybody to for eight weeks through this series to get into a community group. Now, you may be sitting here going, oh, 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 oh. seriously, Derek, that's great that you're doing that and everything. You're lucky I'm even here in church right now. Like, I'm, I'm not even like a church person, let alone, I'm not getting into a group, man. Like, that, yeah, that's cool and everything, but that's not happening. That's not happening with me. I just want to let you know something. I, I, I love that, but seriously, that, that means you as well. If you've taken a step of faith where you could be here at a church for people who don't go to church and you trust us enough to say, okay, this is a safe place where I'm not going to be called out or judged or made to feel less than or any of that stuff, then can you trust us to endeavor with us and to join a group for people who don't do groups, okay? Okay? I know you're not a joiner. I know you don't do groups. But just think about this for a minute. Are you telling me that you wouldn't like to see your relationships improved at all? You're saying, oh, no, I just wouldn't want that. Your family relationships? Say, oh, no. I mean, couldn't possibly get any better with my parents or my in-laws or siblings. Couldn't get any better. Are Are you saying that, I mean, you couldn't have any better relationships at work? This couldn't be any better with your boss? Or that really annoying coworker? Are you saying that you, you just couldn't be any better in your romantic relationship? Your love life is just 10 out of 10, baby. Marriage is just blissful all the time. Love it. So the whole church is going to take on this challenge for eight weeks. Do not be caught sitting on the sidelines. Because the only thing that you stand to lose by doing that is your relationships going to another level. We are simply going to get together and for eight weeks, it's going to be kind of like a, like a, a laboratory experiment. We're going to get together and we're going to process and, and unpack what we're talking about on Sundays and do that in community. So you can look at some other guys or some other gals or whatever and be like, so seriously, what he said, like, is that true? Does that happen to you too? Ladies, do you really think that way? Because I'm a guy and I don't know. And I mean, we're just, we're going to get after it. You got to do this, guys. 
It's just eight weeks. You don't even have to be there every week, okay? Don't tell Brian I said that. He's our group's pastor. But anyway, um, you know, we know you got travel and stuff. It's cool. But I'm telling you, we are going to do this for eight weeks. And we're doing this thing because maybe some of you, you're like a control freak, you know, like me. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. If I get into a group, like, what, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, I, I want to be able to select the people that are in my group. We're even doing something called group in a box where you just take the box and you form your own group. Okay, just grab your people. Handpick your people. It's cool. But eight weeks, and here's why. Because isolation, isolation can lead to devastation. We need meaningful community. You've got to have people in your life that really know you and know what's going on. And you must have people in your life that you can talk to about the stuff that really matters. Yeah, the World Cup games were awesome yesterday, okay? That's great. But I'm talking about the stuff that really matters. Now, I need to spend a few minutes talking about an issue. And this is an issue that affects all of us, okay? It affects men and women. But it affects men to a a larger degree to a much more significant degree than women, by the research, by the data, okay? So I, I want to talk to men, but ladies, I just want you to hear me, that, that I know that this is an issue that, that women are not immune from. And that issue is sexual temptation. So guys, I want you to hear me, okay? Sexual temptation brought the most powerful man in Israel to his knees and it destroyed his family. This guy was on top of the world. There was nothing he couldn't do. I know you have an awesome resume. This guy's was a hundred times better than yours. Okay? He ruled the whole country. All right? Sexual temptation brought David down. And it is bringing us down too. Whether we realize it, whether we acknowledge it, whether it's been in significant, dramatic, overt, obvious ways, or whether it is secretly killing us, which sucking the life out of us and our relationships. And this is what I mean by this, okay? And, and ladies, I, I know this is, this is an issue for ladies as well, but here's the deal. There's just, there's something scientifically about men, the way we're wired, okay, specifically visually. Men are much more visually wired than women. It's just, it's just the way it is, okay, guys? Not, don't feel guilty about it. It's just what it is. But the reality is, because of that, sex, sex, sexual temptation is a huge issue for every single guy, every single one of us. It either is an issue right now, It was an issue before that maybe you're not currently struggling with or it's going to be an issue. It's just a matter of the right time, the right place, the right temptation. It really is. And when I say it's killing us, I mean, it's obvious some of the, some of the ways it, it kills us. It leads to all sorts of things that break up families and, and, you know, we lose jobs and all sorts of things, but it also is killing us quietly because you see, When we lose to sexual temptation, we're robbed of our true manhood. 
we lose the passion from godly relationships. Our marriages lose, guys. We end up feeling all this shame that prevents us from being the men that God wants us to be. Because secretly, deep down, we feel like we're not worthy. We, we, we shouldn't be because of what's happening secretly in our lives. And you may say, yeah, yeah, I get it. Derek, you, you know, you're a pastor and we're in church and you have to talk about this. And now you're going to beat us over the head with a bunch of Bible verses and just go ahead. I'm, I'm ready. Just, you know, just go ahead. Just hit me. Listen, listen. It's not what this is about at all. In fact, Let's forget church altogether. Let's forget the Bible altogether. In fact, I'll go even further. Let's, let's forget morality and let's forget ethics, okay? So all the stuff around should we, shouldn't we, all that stuff, forget that, okay? Because we kind of already know that, so just sweep that off. Let's just look at this from just a practical, scientific, psychological perspective. And the way that I want to do this is I actually want to talk about a couple of TED Talks. And um, you can see we've got uh, those, I've got those listed out for you because they're, they're phenomenal resources. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, okay? So here's, here's the deal. There's a TED Talk called The Great Porn Experiment by Gary Wilson. And basically what this walks through is just the effect of porn on the brain. How it, how it affects us, what it does to us, how it destroys libido, the reality is this, King David, his issue, his place of temptation was his rooftop. For us today, our rooftop is the internet. And it's everywhere that we have an electronic device, which is everywhere. We are always on the rooftop, always. Porn is so easily accessible to us and it is the gateway drug of sexual temptation. And so this, this TED Talk just breaks it down. It just basically says what this does to you, how this impacts you, how this impacts relationships. You owe it to yourself to watch this, even if you're not struggling with it. You owe it to whoever is in your family that you can, that you can pass this along to or a friend or whoever. There's one other one that's really good too. Um, this is not G or even PG, so... Um, just be, I just warned, I mean, it's not, it's not images, it's not graphics, but it's just the, the, the language. It's just, it's, it's very graphic. Okay. Um, but it's, it, it's so important. Why I stopped watching porn by Rand Gavrielli. And he basically just talks about the, the impact that this has on, on our relationships and why we would just be fools. Listen, you cannot watch these Ted talks and go, Oh that, yeah, you know what? Porn sounds like a good idea. Now you can't do that. So at least be empowered. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And speaking of knowledge is power, I just want to just give you one bit of, little bit of advice. Just be very careful when you're typing in, you know, anything about porn, like great porn experiment. Just, just, just be very careful. Type it in carefully. Because, you know, and you, just, you just don't want to have a situation do you know what I'm saying? I'm so grateful that Dick's Sporting Goods finally acquired the rights to Dick's.com. I cannot tell you. You know, I mean, I was going there to buy tennis balls. Okay? I'm in a hurry. You know. I had to throw the computer away. I mean, you know how these things work, man. It's like, it just was, yeah, anyway. 
I'm still scarred, still working through, still working through it. It was terrible. So at the very least, you, you've got to check out these TED Talks. You, you have to. Just be careful when you type in the search, okay? But I want to offer you something that's, that's way more than just kind of an informative understanding, because that's great, but that's, that doesn't get us all the way there, okay? It doesn't. This, this, is, this is a difficult area. And so uh, we have identified a resource. We've actually taken some men's groups through it at Grace before called the Conquer Series. And uh, this series is, man, it is awesome. This is a series on sexual integrity. And um, this was actually created by a former Marine fighter pilot who had tremendous struggles with, um, with, with sexual issues. And he partnered together with a, with a renowned filmmaker, and spent two years. I mean, this is a high quality production. I don't know if you've ever seen like kind of a bad Christian production of anything, like a cheesy, like, ugh, you know what I'm saying? This is not that. This is, this is, this is awesome. It's really, really good. And they actually go through and they do a lot of this TED Talk stuff, right? It's not about trying to be, beat you over the head. It's, it's, hey, look, this is just the practical reality of what's happening in your brain and how this affects you. Really, really good stuff. And then they're walking through a battle plan, okay? This is, I mean, this is great, great stuff. Um, so this, this is geared toward men, just, just so you know, this is a, this is a men's study. This is, this is designed by men for men. So just got to put that out there. Um, and, and I want to offer it up as a resource this summer. Just before we get into This Is Us, we've got time to do this series. And so, guys, um, maybe this is for you. Maybe you're going to check this out for, for a son. Uh, maybe you're going to check this out for a younger sibling. Maybe you're going to check this out for a buddy. Maybe you do a mentoring program with a teenager at Casa Chirilago or a Little Lights, two of our missions partners. I don't know. Maybe there's a guy in your life that you're like, you know what? I, I want to see what this is about because maybe I could be a resource to some other guys that I'm trying to, you know, help. So I want to encourage you. We're, we're going to offer this up, not this coming week, but the following week. We're going to start the study, and we're going to do two different ones. We're going to do one on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11 in Arlington, right here at TJ. And we're going to do another study on Tuesday nights from 7.30 to 9. And the cool thing is that if you travel on a weekend, you can come to the Tuesday one. Or if you're traveling during the week, you come to Sunday, so you can track through and you can get, you can get all the sessions done. So you can, uh, you can either uh, use your phone and hit the bit.ly link there, uh, bit.ly slash, um, what do we call it, conquer series, or you can just uh, take out your connect card and you can just write your name and you can write contact information and, um, and just write conquer series on there. Maybe you just want to get that for somebody else. So, you know, I just, just offer that up to you. Maybe, maybe you've, you just collect some information just because you, you know of somebody who's struggling with it personally. Maybe it's not you, but this is, this is every, everybody's struggle at some point. Um, so here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Here's I want to close us out. If King David, the mighty King David, the man after God's own heart, if he can fall, we can fall. We cannot become isolated. We must find authentic community, people who know us, people we trust, people we can speak into their life, and they can speak into ours. So I want to encourage you, think about that, pray about that, embrace yourself, because we're all going in. That relationship series, this is us, in the fall. 
We're going. We're going to do it for eight weeks. It's going to be awesome. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the reminder that we cannot do it all on our own. God, forgive us for those times where we think that we can and help those of us who are really struggling right now and those of us who just struggle with that isolationist mentality to find people in our lives that can be what we need so that we end up not finishing badly but finishing well in this life, God, the life that you call us to. In Christ's name, amen.